Welcome back to The Break Room for episode 20. I'm your host, Morgan Hensley, and thank you for tuning in again. What can we do to engage and empower physicians? What kinds of leaders optimize performance in healthcare? How can we use data to reduce the epidemic of physician burnout? These questions weigh heavily on healthcare providers and professionals. Jessica Sweeney Platt, Executive Director of Enterprise and Strategic Accounts at Athena Health, has dedicated years to researching these difficult yet deeply important questions. Her work has uncovered some interesting truths and innovative ideas. The data suggests that in order to engage physicians, organizations must offer robust support while allowing doctors the freedom to exercise their professional expert judgment, or in other words, to work at the top of their degree. On today's episode, we discuss frameworks to promote provider engagement, examine the roles technological tools in the healthcare environment play, and talk about meaningful steps leadership can take to reduce physician burnout. Without any further ado, here's the show. Hi, I'm Morgan Hensley, and today I'm here speaking with Jess Sweeney Platt. Uh, Jess, thank you so much for coming on the break room today. I want to start off by asking, based on your research, what physician leadership skills are most valuable, especially during this shaky, shifting period in healthcare? Yeah, it is, um, it's a shaky, shifting period in healthcare that seems to have lasted for the better part of a generation. So um, we've had some time to, to, get, to get used to this, although I don't think any of us have. We at Athena Health uh, have, have done a, a lot of research both on our network data and just doing surveys across our, our user base and, our, um, uh, and, and, the, and the physician and provider community more, more generally. And one of the things we really want to understand, it's important for us uh, as a company, but I think it's also important for the industry as a whole, is to understand what are the, uh, what are the factors that are contributing to some of the, the, the particular challenges for, for physicians and other, and other care team members. You know, we know that the burnout numbers have just been escalating significantly over the last, um, over the last Several years, they, there's some suggestion that they may have plateaued in the last year, but I'm not, I'm not willing to to go to the bank on that yet. So, you know, we really want to understand what are the environmental factors that are contributing to uh, an ecosystem that's just making it very, very difficult for uh, for the end users of our of our products. And you know, obviously, we also want to understand what role does technology play in that. And we're finding that while it, it absolutely plays a role, and we are committed to, to figuring that out, it's, it's, um, there, there are other factors at play. And so all of that just is context for, for why we've been doing research in this, in this area. And so we have a pretty um, extensive survey instrument that we've used a couple of times now. And it gets at a lot of questions around things like burnout and engagement. And we ask a whole set of questions around leadership and the role that leadership plays in the way a physician or a, a care team member feels about the work that they do and the organization that they are that they are a part of. 
And so we know from this research that leadership matters intensely, particularly high-quality physician leadership can absolutely be protective against burnout and can improve engagement levels. And, and at the individual level, I think there's the, the ability to be collaborative across across traditional silos. So this could be collaborative across different types of um, care team members, physicians collaborating with nurses and pharmacists and social workers and um, any other member of an extended care team, the patient, the family, et cetera. It's also, I think, across um, organizational silos, so collaborating with um, administrators, collaborating with members of the IT community, even collaborating with um, people and, and, and entities outside of their, of their formal organization. So I think this, this general idea of collaboration is a leadership capability that is important both for those physicians who are in literal leadership positions, but also for those physicians who are, um, you know, maybe just focused on providing the best quality care to their patients and they don't take on any kind of administrative or, or, or formal leadership roles. So that's that's one thing. I think another um, another thing that I would put under this this heading of leadership capability is a willingness and uh, an, an eagerness to engage with data. You know, I am I am not a physician, but I've worked in my professional career with physicians for um, well over a decade. And one thing that I know is that they are um, they are drawn to data. And they 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 love working with data, and I think that the ones that the, that the organizations that I see doing particularly well on this front are those that can can constructively harness that that innate um, interest in and, and receptiveness to data to in to, to help engage their uh, their entire physician community in decision making based on the data. So I think that the you know the leadership capability is using data to engage uh, to engage physicians at all levels of the organization to engage care team members at all levels of the organization in the definition of strategy and um, uh, and, and and in the definition of things like care guidelines and 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 care pathways. One aspect that you mentioned uh, is the fact that uh, physicians who aren't necessarily in uh, leadership or administrative roles, they still play such a role as a leader um, to their patients. And so that to me calls to mind the relationship between physician engagement and physician leadership. I was wondering if you could maybe speak a bit about the uh, the relationship between the two, because as, as we've seen, uh, data shows a really strong correlation between leadership and engagement. So in your words, how do the two influence each other and enhance each other? So one of the things, and I, I come at this from, um, I, I spent a number of years uh, in my career sort of thinking about the concept of, of, of engagement more generally, not just with physicians, but across large groups of, of of workers in companies in in all different kinds of, of industries, and so one of the things that we know about engagement is that for for someone to feel aged in the work that they do and to be willing, you know, when you think of engagement, the, the the mentor that I get is someone who is 
literally leaning forward and maybe, you know, pushing up their heels and saying, what can I do? What can I do to help? Um, it's not someone who is just sort of doing the minimum to get their day so that they can go home and, and, and get to what they really want to think about. This is someone who is, you know, who's, who's all in, who's willing to go in above and beyond uh, the, the, the formal parameters of job description in order to contribute to positive outcomes on, you know, for, the, for the organization as a whole. So when you think about what has to be true in order for someone to feel that way about the place that they work, that, com- that can only come from leaders who are able to paint a really compelling vision, something that is meaningful and relevant to the particular uh, organization and to the and to the specific people in that organization, and then they have to be able to connect the work that they are doing every day to that vision and that mission. So, so, so getting back to your original question about leadership, I guess something that I would now add to my ever-growing list of leadership attributes and leadership capabilities is exactly that: is the ability to not only have a have a vision for the organization but to do the work and to create the structures that help every person in that organization, every physician, every nurse, every MA, every front desk clerk, everyone in the organization needs to see how their work contributes to the, 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 the organization's ability to deliver on that, on that vision and on that mission. So, so, so they are, they are very, very closely, they are very, very closely correlated because that's, that connection doesn't happen if leadership doesn't make a, a uh, an intentional effort. It doesn't just happen organically. It doesn't happen just in the normal course of doing their work and, and, and going about business. It's something that leadership has to decide to do, and they have to do it in a, in a coordinated fashion. How do you think physician engagement and leadership can actually accelerate value-based care and improve patients' health outcomes? Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the I was reading a study um, just because I I'm a nerd and I read these kinds of studies because I do, <laughs> and it was it was a study from an organization called Numeroff and Associates, and they do a lot of work in value based care, population health, et cetera, and they they do an annual survey on kind of the pace of adoption of value based or of population health. I guess it's more narrow than than value based care. And not surprisingly, they found that the pace of adoption for kind of population health-based incentives across the industry has largely stalled. Um, you know, we've been seeing this as, as long as I've been a part of this conversation, so let's call it 15 years now, um, we've been saying that, you know, population health-based care models are three to five years away. We said that. 12 years ago, we said it seven years ago, we said it five years ago, and they're still three to five years away. So why is that? Well, it's because population health specifically and value-based care more generally is a really hard thing to do. It requires a lot of different pieces of the organization to change the way they do business. It requires a lot of different people in the organization to change the way they structure their work, to change who they work with and how they intersect together and all of these things. It's incredibly complex. So if you don't have leaders in place who can 
sort of keep their eyes on the forest and not get not get overly distracted by the trees, if you don't have leaders who can keep that sort of general principle and that and, and that bigger picture in mind, then it's going to be really, really hard in the course of doing business every day and seeing patients every day and checking patients in every day and scheduling patients and all of the work that has to be done on a daily basis within a physician practice. It's going to be really hard to do that and transform the organization unless you have someone in a leadership position. And it doesn't have to be, actually, I'm saying someone, it can't just be a single person. It has to be a coordinated effort across across a team of leaders. And it's not even necessarily, it shouldn't be limited to the most senior leaders in an organization. This is something that has to be, there has to be sort of representative government down throughout the, throughout the layers of the organization. And so I think that the role of leadership there is to keep that, keep that vision, keep that picture of what success in value-based care looks like and and keep everyone focused on that. So 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 it's this sort of, you know, you're tacking in between in between guardrails. You 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 go too far to one side and you you get this beautiful sort of abstract principle, but you don't have anything real to back it up. You go too far to the other side, you get weighed down in the in the minutia and in the trivia and you lose sight of the big uh of the of the big powerful, meaningful vision. So it's leadership's role to keep to keep the organization and to keep the people in that organization kind of within those um, within those guardrails. You'll, you'll always bounce off a little bit. You just don't want to bounce too hard and too far. That's really interesting. The your mention of the necessity for a sustained, coordinated effort uh, across a team of leaders when it comes to um, impactful organizational transformation, and to me that introduces the idea of high-capability organizations, a, a subject you have um, put a tremendous amount of research into and extracted uh, so many insights from. I was wondering if you could maybe please talk about what high-capability means and what does a high-capability organization look like in the healthcare sphere? It brings a tear to my eye that you actually used that phrase and that term, and that it is something that I, I'm really proud of. So thank you for, for positioning that so, so beautifully. Um, so in the research that we've done, one of the things that we really wanted to understand, and this is particularly germane to the burnout conversation, you know, we wanted to understand with it that organizations can do, and by organization, that's a deliberately generic term. It could be, it could be a, 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 you know, a small group of doctors. It could be seven to 20 doctors who work together, or it could be a large, you know, a large collection of different practices like, like Privia is. But, but whatever the organization is, however, however you define it, we wanted to understand what are the levers that the organization has at its disposal to, to help protect and 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 hope you know even better even avoid the burnout problem. So so one of the things that I've noticed as I've been doing research in this area is that and this is starting to change by the way, but I, but in the in the sort of early years of this epidemic, one of the things that I noticed is that a lot of the 
and I'm using air quotes here that you can't see, that the, the solutions to burnout put a lot of the responsibility for solving the problem on the individual physician. It was about things like managing stress and being mindful and rediscovering the joy of medicine. And, and all of these, all of these are good. Like these are not bad things to do, but it, there, there was a not very subtle sort of um, bias in some of the, in some of the early work that was done that said fixing burnout is the individual physician's responsibility. And here are all of the tools that they have at their disposal to do that. With, so, so and, and again, very important to make sure that physicians have stress management tools, that we do the work to reduce the stigma of accessing mental health and, 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 and behavioral health services. But I also really strongly believe that there is an organizational responsibility that, that organizations and that, and that the systems and structures that surround physicians today um, have a lot of power and they have a lot of, therefore, responsibility in terms of um, making sure that they are doing their part to prevent and or fix the burnout problem. So we started to think about this, okay, what is it, what levers does the organization have in this, in this conversation. And in, in doing this initial research, we, were, we connected with um, a professor at the Harvard Business School who's done decades worth of research into organizational performance um, across different pieces of the service industry. Healthcare is part of the service industry. It's got its own unique aspect to it, but, um, but it, is, it is a service industry. And so we started talking with him, and he was the one who introduced us to this concept of capability, because what he had found is that in, in service businesses, so, you know, retail or, or hospitality or, or um, food service, if you have an employee who believes that they have the tools and the resources and the latitude to treat their customers in the way they feel is right, and if they have the tools that they need to take care of their customers, those organizations tend to perform better than, than organizations whose employees don't think they have what they need to treat their customers right. So, so, so that concept, the, having what you need to, to take care of your customers is, is, is what um, Dr. Len Schlesinger uh, and his and his co his colleagues at, at Harvard Business School started to refer to as capability. So we got really interested in this. We wanted to understand: does this does this concept work in healthcare, and does this concept work specifically with physicians? And so we've done a number of different surveys to understand, you know, to, to try and identify where this where this idea of capability works and where it doesn't work. And we found that it actually, you know, statistically speaking. Is, is extraordinarily relevant to physicians. What we found is that those organizations where the physicians say that they have the tools and the resources that they need to take care of their patients in the way that they think is best and the latitude that they need to take care of patients in the way that they think is best, if those things are present, those organizations not only perform better financially, but those physicians are much less likely to report symptoms of burnout, and they are much more likely 
to be engaged. And so we think that that's, that, that this idea of capability is, and this is, this is ongoing research, so I don't have all the answers yet, but this idea of capability is that these are the levers that the organization can pull on behalf of the physicians within that organization to provide the tools, the resources, and the latitude or the, or the degrees of freedom to treat their patients in a way that they think is best. That's a really interesting perspective. And your mention of the service industry aspect of healthcare, as well as the uh, ability for physicians to have the tools to treat customers, to me calls to mind the, the rise of healthcare consumerism. Uh, mm-hmm. We're seeing that trend in which patients are viewing their healthcare delivery uh, as more informed consumers, they're more engaged, and as they bear more of the expensive, they're increasingly selective about their healthcare options. And I feel as mm-hmm. though that the rise of healthcare consumerism has forced physicians to uh, re-examine the patient experience from the perspective of the patient. And I'm wondering, with that new perspective, how must uh, physicians shift their thinking and what tools exist to support physicians in this reimagining? I will say right up front, this is research that I'm dying to do, but I have not yet been able to do it. So with that as backdrop, this is sort of Jeff Sweeney Platt, um, strong hypothesis, but not yet borne out by actual data. Um, But one of the things that we believe to be true, and this isn't, I don't think this would be a controversial statement, but just in the way that physicians and nurses and MAs and practice managers have jobs to do in the eventual um, successful outcomes for patients, patients also have a job to do in their own successful outcomes. And and we don't typically think of patients as having a job, but they do. It's a terrible job. It is, it's hard. They don't have the information they need. The pay is terrible. In fact, they are paying out of pocket for the privilege of doing this job that nobody wants to have. Um, but it, but it, it, if we think of it as a job, we can then start to design it, and we can then start to think about all of the, again, the ways that the organization itself can make that job easier. And so I do think that, again, in the same way that a lot of burden has been placed on the individual physician to kind of fix their own burnout problem, I think we're also putting a lot of burden on individual patients to fix the fact that our healthcare delivery system is fragmented and siloed and really, really hard, even for those of us who spend all day, every day in healthcare to make heads or tails of it. So, you know, one of the really interesting trends that I'm keeping an eye on, you know, that we we know that there are, it's certainly hundreds of millions, probably close to tens of billions of dollars in in venture money, venture capital money, that is flowing into digital health right now. And I don't know the exact percentage, but it is a significant proportion of those billions and billions of dollars is going to exactly this question that you just raised, which is how do we make the job of the patient 
a little bit easier. And one of the and the 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 point of the point in time at which we are right now is that you've got lots and lots and lots of small companies taking on very small pieces of the pie. And that's exactly the way you have to do it, right? If you if you set out to solve all the problems for everyone across the entire ecosystem, you're never going to do it. You have to start small and then you and then you expand out. So we've got, you know, that there are hundreds if not thousands of these little tiny start companies that are all taking on different pieces of the patient experience. And so at, I think that the next great development will be, you know, kind of the concept of a of a of a unifying platform where all of these where all of these pieces can fit together, where patients and physicians and anyone who kind of has a vested interest in this uh, in the in in the outcomes, where they can go and and whatever solutions they're using, we know that they will inform one another so that the whole comes greater than the sum of the parts. Because I think right now, the 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 patient's experience and their their you know, lack of their perceived lack of willingness to do their jobs is not, in fact, a lack of willingness to do their jobs. It is a lack of knowledge, and it's a lack of tools, and it's a lack of resources. And so, if there is something that today's physician or today's physician practice can do, it's a recognize that most people want to do the right thing. They just either don't know, they don't know how, or they don't have the the, the time, money. Um, etc. So, so you know, there's there's no great technology fix for this right now. But I do, I, I am really interested, and in, I've been sort of paying attention to a couple of organizations that are making interesting investments in looking at the experience through the eyes of the patient, understanding where it's hard for them, and then and then putting supports in to to, to make it easier. I think it's really interesting. It actually called to mind. To me, something that you've written in the past, uh, you wrote, communication, trust, and a supportive working relationship can connect physicians to their organizations. What does trust look like in healthcare, and how can physician-led organizations bolster trust? Yeah, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question, right? Like it, we know that um, we know that. Where physicians, and again, I'm going back to our research, which is on physicians, so I'll just use them. But we know that in those in those organizations where physicians say that they trust the leadership of their organization, we tend to see much higher um, rankings of capability, right? We, we, we tend to see lower levels of burnout, higher engagement, et cetera. So we actually did a little bit of digging to try and understand what is trust? <laughs> what does it look like? And if it's not there, how do you build it? And I don't know that I have the magic solution to this. And what I learned in the course of these conversations that we had was that there are no shortcuts. I talked to one, um, uh, he was a, a CEO of what I would consider to be kind of a, a mid-sized physician organization. I think it was around 50 to 60 doctors. And he said that he put something like 35,000 miles a year on his car, just traveling from site to site. And because he said, there is no substitute for face-to-face conversation. I want to be in the practice 
with the physicians. I can't expect them to come to me. I have to go to them, and I have to listen, and I have to be ready and able to explain why certain decisions have been made. And if, and if those two things are, are true, if, if, if they know that I'm listening to what they're saying, and even if I can't necessarily give them everything that they've asked for, if they know why the decisions were made and they accept that rationale and they've developed a personal relationship with me, then that becomes an easier, an easier conversation. So I, I, you know, I wish that there were a 21st century answer to, you know, click a button and it will build trust. But I do think that it is at its foundation, personal relationships, one-to-one conversations that are two-way in nature. Um, I, I, I think another element of these organizations that I was particularly struck by is the degree to which they've invested in making two-way conversations possible. So it's not just, um, you know, department meetings, which, is a, which, which are a one-way flow of information. You know, here's what was discussed at the last senior leadership team meeting. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Thank you very much and goodbye. It is an opportunity to surface insight and surface perspective from the bottom up as well, and they have well-defined mechanisms for making sure that that, that, that frontline perspective is, is channeled back to the decision makers in the organization, and that that frontline perspective is incorporated into decision making explicitly, and that, so, so that then the, the cycle can repeat itself. We can go out and say, here's why this decision was made. It incorporated feedback. We know that you've been experiencing X, Y, Z. We, we incorporated that feedback in the following ways, and, here is, and here's the final decision. And so having that, having that two-way communication, both in terms of you know, personal conversations, but also this is, this is a place where technology can be, can be effective. I heard, um, I heard about an organization that was very effective at creating kind of um, virtual communities around strategic Questions. So they 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 were a quite a large um, physician group, and they were spread out over a very large geographic area. So it was really hard for everyone to be in the same place at the same time. So if they knew that they had a a big decision to be made, and they wanted to get the perspective of the folks on the front line, where they could say, "Here's the question we're wrestling with," you know, discuss. And what they found was that they got incredibly broad participation across across the entire um, across the entire geographic spread of this group, and it was a great opportunity, you know, for people to weigh in on strategic questions, understand that these strategic questions were even be, were even being debated, and it then allowed the ultimate decisions to be framed and phrased in the context of things that matter most at the at the front line. So, so that was a really nice example of using technology to create a two-way conversation as opposed to um, stifling one. Absolutely. And uh, as far as two-way conversations go, I have to say I've had a, a real pleasure talking with you about uh, capabilities, technology, physician leadership, and engagement. So Jess, thank you so much for coming on The Break Room today. It was a pleasure having you.
Oh, it is such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I, I get very passionate about this stuff, and I just appreciate the thoughtful questions. So thank you. Thank you again to you, our listeners, for tuning into The Break Room today. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing at priviahealth.com forward slash The Break Room. You can also subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. We read each and every one and use your feedback in creating a more enjoyable experience for our listeners. And thank you once more to Jessica Sweeney-Platt for coming on the show today. That's all for now. We look forward to seeing you next month on The Break Room.